podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, I'm Sai. Welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. On the channel, we've got podcasts, interviews, content on all sorts of subjects, live and recorded. We do a live show Monday, which is the Andy Campbell Football Show, features top guests from the football world. Then we have the Danny Batten Fight Show on a Wednesday, featuring uh, guests from MMA and boxing, as well as uh, Friday, live again with the Andy Campbell Championship Show, talking all things championship. And then uh, most Sundays, we release another show whether it be uh, an episode of my story an episode of unscripted uncensored or one of our other popular and fun series there's something for everyone on all sorts of subjects so check it out and please subscribe youtube.com slash ace podcast nation that's the uh, most direct way to support the channel at the moment and of course you can get the audio versions of all the shows at your favorite uh, podcasting radio app and today I am talking a bit of everything, mainly clothing and uh, probably a bit of football and a bit of music, I would imagine. But uh, my guest is, uh, by the way, this is when when I read this uh, on your LinkedIn page, it was my favourite thing ever, but I'll I'll discuss that now, Uh, is designer and apparel engineer, Mr. A.D. Wollaston. How are you, my friend? Nice to see you, sir. All good, mate. All good. Yeah, apparel engineer. When I saw that on your LinkedIn page a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I love that. That is uh, like the perfect terminology. <laughs> I just, I was, uh, I was well happy with that. So as soon as, uh, as soon as we arranged to have you on, I was like, I'm having that on the nameplate straight away. That's, that, that's what it's all about, really, engineering stuff. So uh, it seems the best way of uh, describing it. I think people think designers are all pinning stuff up and, um, at the Paris catwalks and things. And most of the time, it's not like that at all. You've got to know how to build stuff. It's not about selling pictures and things. It's about creating something of value, really, for people. So I've always liked it anyway. It seems a bit less uh, seems a bit less highfalutin, I suppose. That's probably the best way of putting it. Yeah, I it's guess... Like, I guess... And, like, even I would be guilty of that. Like, when you say, like, a designer, I think of, like, a, a sketchbook... And then sketching, you know, different designs and different things of different pieces of clothing, different uh, different I- items and whatnot. But of course, like you say, you've got to you've got to build the item as well. You've got it's got to be achievable in terms of being able to do it as well. And if you can't do that, you're kind of stuck at just the drawing, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, you're uh, you're working with a friend of the channel, uh, Away Day Apparel which uh, we'll kind of get to how you became involved with them and stuff. Um, but, you know, I've talked about, and I've talked to Alan on the show before. He's been on a couple of shows and, uh, you know, we talk about them all the time. I'm really excited to see what the, the future brings for, for the brand. And we'll, like I say, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But what I like to do first is, uh, with all my guests really, is wherever they're from, whether they be a footballer, a fighter or a, a parallel engineer, is we do the magnificent seven. So uh, all it is is seven quick questions. Gets the lets the viewer and the listener get a feel for your for your tastes or your your interests, as it were. Cool. cool. 
So, uh, A.D. Wallace then, the Magnificent Seven. Uh, Oasis or the Stone Roses? Roses. Good man. Roses. I had the good fortune of being there at the beginning, so uh, it's loyalty, but it's quality as well. I mean, it was a game changer when the, when the Roses first came out. It was a different ball game. The music was oh, just yeah. new. Yeah, it just changed everything, didn't it? And I yeah. think even even um, even when for people who discovered it, discovered them afterwards, you know, years later, it's it's still changed the way they were looking at music and how they felt about music years later. And I think just to a certain extent, it probably still does when they hear those um, the original albums. Uh, next question was uh, Noel or Liam Gallagher? No. No, nothing against Liam. Just uh, you know, he's kind of the driving force against it. Liam's the personality, but Noel's the one that's kind of constructed it, really. Yeah, do you think they'll? Ever, do you think they'll ever get back together for a proper run? Probably not. I'll, I'll, I'll be surprised, really, because they're both doing their own things now. Really, they've both got their own. You don't want to go backwards, really, do you? You want to keep no. moving forwards. I think. Uh, the thing I did when Pretty Green went under, I wondered whether that might be a, a catalyst for them to sort of get back together. But um, when I start seeing kind of like Liam arguing with uh, with Noel's daughter and stuff on social media, I was like, yeah, that's probably that's probably it for that now. Um, <laughs> I can't see it really. No, there's like a, there's kind of like a line, and I think maybe he's probably but then he's probably gone over that line about a million times over the years and they they always seem to patch it up but it's been a long time uh, that feud now isn't it um, yeah, I mean, yeah. never, never say never but I, I, I'd be surprised really I'd be surprised and sometimes it's better if things just stay where they were really I think you know it yeah. can take I agree. yeah I agree Oasis was special and I just I do wonder whether if they did get back together would you lose the the kind of what made it special in the first place? Um, you know, it's, it's it's difficult to say, isn't it? Because like the the kind of fan or the 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 enthusiast inside me wants to see them get back together, of course. But then equally, I'd like you know, hindsight's a great thing, isn't it? And like looking back, Oasis was very special. And I don't know if I want that to be ruined with a with a underwhelming run or an album or a tour or you know whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, next question: Stone Island or CP Company? Stone. Stone. CP was the first, so you know I've got to give credit where credit's due. But I think there was there was something special about Stone that captured it's just a different league, really. something so different. And the amount of work that went in there, and it'd be impossible not to not to move there really. And it's got to be stolen. I think. Mm. I think so. And um, best TV show of all time. <laughs> not many to choose from. That's a tough one. That's a really tough one. I'm not. I don't watch loads and loads of TV, so it's, it's a bit of a difficult one, really. I have to go back a long, long way, I think, mm-hmm. to come up with something really good like that. Hmm. What about recent ones? Could be anything. Anything you want. Match of a day, if you want. 
<laughs> match it? of the day will be a good one. It's always been there, really, so it's probably a good call. Man. It's got to yeah. be up there. Match of the day, maybe. There we go. And uh, this is this is such a broad question that it really puts you on the spot. Who is the greatest man that ever lived? <laughs> Nikola Tesla. Good shout. See, most people go for like a kind of like a pop culture figure. Like a, I don't know, an Eric Cantona or an Ian Brown or you know, whoever. I like that. Nikola Tesla. Good shout. Got a very interesting story as well. Like, apart from obvious, the obvious, like with his in, inventions and stuff, there's kind of like um, loads of rumours about like conspiracies and around his death and the CIA stealing all his experiments and that. So it's just all interesting stuff. But uh, really, I go on. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt that. He, he realised that electricity should be free. We wouldn't be paying for electricity. It's almost like Wi-Fi. It's, it's, it's absolutely everywhere, electricity. He was plugging um, light bulbs into the ground near his, uh, near his power generator. And they, they were just lighting. Planting them in the ground like potatoes. And no. they were lighting up. All those bulbs were lighting up. I think, uh, I think any of those um, conspiracy theories, and let's face it, everything's a conspiracy theory until you start to see it. So yeah. that's true. Um, there's probably a lot in them, really. He'd, 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 we'd all be on free electricity now. There wouldn't be anything. All the politics that goes on with it, I don't think there'd be anything at all like that anymore. I think yeah, the guy was a proper genius. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I think as soon as the, the powers that be realised that they could make money from it, and, like, obviously the money was in controlling it rather than just giving it to everyone and whatnot it's kind of like that's the end of it then isn't it from a from a free from a free point of view and i think that's the end of of him really yeah oh yeah oh yes so question that though um, uh, a good shout really yeah i like it's my one of my favorite questions that is because everybody's got a different answer because everyone's whether it be influenced or read about or just more familiar with, everyone's got like a different uh, view of everything. So I always like, I like that question a lot. Um, so the other thing I like to do with, uh, with my guests is I like to take them back right to the start of, uh, of their lives really. And just kind of you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and your upbringing and stuff. And then, kind of, how you got into being an, an apparel engineer, where it started. Well, I, I grew up in Stockport, South Manchester, so uh, it was um, quite a nice area. The area was cheap and so it was quite green, green belt, and all that. But um, growing up in the 70s there, it was very different to how it is now. It's changed mm. quite a lot. And um, I think probably. I, I toyed with the idea of actually being an engineer, and that's why I, I put it in tag there. Whether uh, I had a teacher at school who used to work for the MOD, who used to bring all the declassified blueprints, tanks, and things like that. In. My grandfather's and uh, uh, was an electrical engineer, an acoustics engineer, so uh, sort of in the blood a little bit. But it was all about fashion and clothing for me as well. So to try and put those two things together, I originally wanted to be a tailor. Okay. 
a, a teenage mod into Northern Soul, into that point of the footy, and right at that crossover point where it went from the kind of mod revival thing, the casual movement moved in, and, you know, listening to stuff like the jam, and then yeah. Northern Soul. Northern Soul was a big thing. It's a rite of passage, really, in the north. It's it's something everyone was sort of brought up with. But I, I, I wanted to train as a tailor. I wanted to be able to make suits. And I did a bit of apprenticeship work, learning how to press and how to sew bits and pieces of suits together. But when um, when lads started coming back from Europe, and I'm a City fan, so uh, we weren't in Europe in the 80s. We were a long, mm. long way off that. So a lot of the lads from England, mind you, some of the lads from um, Liverpool and that, that started coming back with it, it was Stone Island gear that just it blew me away, like military-looking gear in purple, yeah. orange, and yellow, and I just thought that's that's what I want to do. So I learned I learned how to um, I went and learned how to cut patterns. I was okay. the next move on really how to actually build the garment. That seems to me the best. I've, I've been able to draw. My mum taught me to draw before I could write. I think. So that, that side of it wasn't really a big deal. But to learn how to construct a pattern for a garment, that was the key to it. That was how to actually engineer a garment. Then. And then everyone laughed at us at the time. Everything was on St. Martins and people thought you wanted to be Christian Dior or you know, mm. GM or so forth. I was just determined to do it. So kept my head down, learned the craft and that. So it, that, that's, that's where that side of it came from. And then looking at all the sort of footy lads, I, I got the whole mods into skinheads and suede heads into casuals. I, I could see the whole line of it running through. So it's yeah. quite easy, really, to see how I could make that into something that I could really, really get my teeth into. I think right. I read a book, uh, probably saw the movie, which is nothing to do with the book, Absolute Beginners. And the guy, the, the protagonist, actually said to him, when you're looking for something that you work, get something that you're going to enjoy doing, because you spend most of your time at work, so you may yeah, actually enjoy it. I, I, I thought that made sense to me. That really made sense to us. You know, I was single parent, family, and things like that. I was cutting patterns on on, on the living room floor and the kitchen table, learning uh, how to make jackets, how to cut the patterns from. It's cool. So, like, not many. And the thing is, not many people get the opportunity to to, to find a career that they genuinely enjoy you know i would say probably 90 percent of the population end up with a kind of with a job which they've got to have because it pays the bills um and like you know i i would say probably the majority of my mates um you kind of like you speak to them and they're like a lot of them have went into a job after school because they needed money and some of them are still in that same job twenty years later, and they've kind of worked their way up, and you know, got a, you know, they're a bit higher up or whatever. But generally, because once you start paying bills and mortgages and rent and things, it's not as easy to then take a step back and go and do the thing you wanted to do. So I, I, um, I do think that, um, and that's what I try and sort of say to my kids as well: is find something not just that you're good at, find something that you. Do you genuinely enjoy and and work at it and try and go go for that because like you say you're going to spend the majority of your life doing it you may as well do something that you enjoy i mean i wish that 20 years ago i could have 
well, 20 years ago, I'd thought about doing, it wouldn't have been podcasting then, but like some sort of radio or interviews or like that sort of thing, because I love it. Um, and I've only, like I've done, been doing it a year or so now. Um, and I can't think of me doing anything else now, but yeah. it just, it's like 25 years too late almost. But <laughs> there we go. It is what it is, I suppose. Um, so you said about like you, um, you've obviously, you learned how to build garments from, you know, from start to finish and, and construct them. What sort of time frame would you be looking at if you wanted to, this, like, this might be a really stupid question, by the way, so I apologize. But like, say, I don't know, say you, you've drawn out your design of a, just say a jacket, for instance, um, and then you had the, the materials and whatever you need. What sort of time frame are you looking to, from start to finish, from designing it to building one jacket? Um, it, it depends on whether you can make it yourself. I mean, mm. you, you, you're talking about the sampling process there, I assume, rather than the production. Yeah. The, the full turnaround, if you're working for, for a, a brand, for instance, for a firm, it's always six months. And it takes that because usually you, you, the design process is a combination of what you want to do and also what inspires you, for instance, fabrics and things like that, what, what you actually see. And then a lot of it is research and development. And yeah. then, um, you make an experiment, things like um, what colours it's going to be, the dyeing and things like that. But I think that the thing that gets missed, and this is what gets missed now, this touches back to the conversation we had before I, is you don't get enough storytelling nowadays um, within the garment industry. And that's the bit which sometimes takes time. I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, I can go through some of the firms and that later. I'll let you lead the way on that that I've worked for. But a lot of them, you'll go on an inspiration trip, which just sounds like a bit of a laugh, really, but it's, it's valuable because you're always working in the team. So you're always going in... Um, you're always going in um, in there with a group of people and you all need to be on the same page. You've all got okay. to get onto that same page. And a brand will have a story. For instance, I, I, I was at Timberland. So everyone knows what Timberland's about. They know where they came from. It was all based at them originally around the yellow boot and things. When you're doing the apparel side of it, you've got to try and translate that story into the collections that you're doing. And then you've got to make it relevant for each season. So that, that start of it kind of dictates how long everything's going to take. Getting fabrics, getting things developed, and even designing fabrics. If you don't get exactly what you're looking for, you want to personalise it. You want to start bringing things like organic cottons in there, recycled stuff. Sometimes you have to build that yourself. Yeah. So you've got to work with another department, people who are experts on textiles, to take it through to that level. So it, it, six months is always the time to actually produce a collection from when you start. But then you've got another six months before it will go in the shop. So you've got to think a year in advance, always. So is that, can that be, um, can that be like frustrating as a designer that you, um, that it can take like a year from, from your idea maybe and, and, and kind of your first semblances of the idea and the project? to actually be in the finished product and on the shelf or do you enjoy the journey of that 12 months of you know doing the sampling and the mixing with the different whether it's the textiles people and the 
you know, finding the right material which matches your vision for the for the garment? Um, there's a little bit of both, really. But the actual the, the, the six months, once you hand it over to production, really, apart from garments coming back for you to check the quality, check the fit, and approving colours and things like that, you're not really involved in it then. You've moved on to something else, so it goes to a, a production department. So that six months, really, I find it quite enjoyable. That's, that's the whole engineering side of it. It's only once it um, goes into sales, it gets handed over to the money men. And it just becomes a number and, a yeah. and how many have sold and things get cancelled. Cancellations and things are frustrating. But the longer you're in the business, I mean, I've been doing this for over 30 years now. So it's a long, long time. You do get used to it. You get less precious um, about the garments that you've done. Okay. So you, you don't want people to chop away at it too much. You know, the, the development process should be a part putting something of value in there. Putting yeah. something that, that, that people are actually... I'm, I'm still very much... I know it sounds a bit of a cliche, but I'm very much um, interested in what, what people are going to get, what they're paying their money for. Really. It needs to be something of value. Don't just do something with a, a brand on it or sticking zips or buttons and things where they don't need to be. And you get a, you get a process as well where you kind of... Um, you over-engineer stuff sometimes. But you know what you're doing. It. You want to strip things back. And then you'll get um, different people in the company. No, don't take that off. Because you think it's going to be a little bit overcooked there. It's not only going to be expensive, but there's going to be too much. It's like a science project there. Yeah. To, to see the value of what you're doing. Absolutely, but, uh, yeah. It can get frustrating, but that, that, that actual building garments and building the collections, really, that, that's, that's the fun part of it, really. Sounds um, it sounds like a special experience because I would imagine it's quite fulfilling, um, not just along the way, but um, when you know when it's on the shelf and it's finished product, being able to look back over that twelve months or so, um, and looking back at the original designs in a well, you know in a book or on paper or whatever it may be, um, like that's got to be very sas- a satisfying process. To have built something from start to finish, and obviously see the finished article. Um, have you got like a a favourite uh, garment that you've designed in those thirty years? <laughs> Again, that's a, that, that that's another tough one. That with thirty years, I mean, I've got a portfolio like a library. It's huge. I bet, yeah, you just get used to it. But um, there's a few of the bits. The bits that I did for uh, Bonneville and Master. There was a lot of stuff there. But, I mean, Bonneville, full stop. I, I can talk into that a bit more, but that was um, that, that was a dream, really, to be able to work yeah. something. That was one of the brands that inspired me to do this. The whole, especially the, the the Navy Arctic stuff that was coming out in the eighties. I was buying into that at the time, so then to be given that brand, it's been dormant for twenty years, and be asked, "Can you redevelop it and do something with it?" That's probably that. That was probably the greatest thing. I mean, there's some garments. There's one behind us here on the mannequin that um, I used, which was um, a limited edition I did for Master. That's saying science project. That collection, the 2014 white label collection, was really good fun to do because it was engineered in a way that I wanted to make it authentic performance clothing. 
But I didn't want yeah. to say this to a sportswear label, not like um, North Face or Patagonia or something like that. I wanted it to stay true to what it started as and bring all that experience of working with all these um, performance labels I'd, I'd, I'd worked with and actually put it into a garment that was top to toe designed and going out and working with the factories, going out to China and working with people like that. Really good factories as well. So that, that that's perhaps, you're always more interested in the most recent stuff. You're always more about that. That's always the stuff that you think, yeah, that's good. Yeah. So you mentioned um, uh, Bonneville and um, uh, Marstrom. What did you, so before you get to that point in your kind of career, what was your first job uh, in clothing once you'd sort of gone from sort of school to what, where do we go from there? Well, it, it took me a few years really to actually get in somewhere because I, did, I, I, I didn't have a degree or anything. I was, um, I was self-taught. Okay. And only wow. completely self-taught. So I've I've learned pattern cutting, creative pattern cutting. So um your normal pattern cutters will do something just for production. The designers create it, they pass it over to you and you have to interpret their ideas. So I, I'd learned pattern cutting then. And the first the first firm that I worked for was um, a little independent label in Manchester called The Works. They were doing very very kind of clubby stuff. It was uh, we used to outfit, um, uh, what's his name, Chris Evans on Don't Forget Your Toothbrush, did all his long tartan coats, mm-hmm. and the, the trousers that he wore. That was really good fun because it was very small. We we were producing stuff, cutting the patterns up in, um, up in the design studio, um, sending them out to different manufacturers, then going to shows and people buy something and sending stuff to people like take that and everything as well and it was it was very affordable it was quite a small operation it was all very clicky a bit wild a lot of party in there as well it was, mm. uh, it, that, that was during the, the real heady days tail end of the hacienda when cream was absolutely huge and we, we'd just be off at all those places guest lists everywhere that kind of thing and then after that um I did a couple of little bits and pieces of working for people in Manchester, but the industry was very small. Um, I got um, headhunted by Ted Baker's. Didn't stay there long. I only stayed six months. I was just working on Jersey stuff, and it wasn't really me, to be honest. I wanted to get into proper outerwear. And then I worked for um, uh, Hope and Glory. Do you remember Hope and Glory? Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. Got, I do. That right at the start of that whole kind of cover coat, um, smart city kind of shirt, that sort of lock stock kind of look. Yeah, yeah. And then um, Fire Trap after that, when it was still privately owned before it went to Mike Ashley. Yeah, I before before uh, Mr. Ashley took over, I was partial to a bit of Fire Trap. But uh, that, stuff. that was that. That was when another firm that's um, just put into bankruptcy. I think um, uh, G Star Diesel huge then. So they were the competition, mm. trying to do things. I, I had the good fortune then of looking after special projects, which was a sort of um, epilogue season, uh, epilogue to the season, prologue to the season, and then designing a lot of the outerwear as a part of it. Okay. Then after that, it was Timberland. I went there as um, head of outerwear. Massive Timberland. In terms of being really looked after by a company, Timberland were great. It's owned by VF Corporation now. At the time, it was owned by um, the guy Jeff Schwartz. That was that was the first time I went proper international. Like, um, 
club class flights out to China, staying there, nice hotel, stayed in the peninsula there. Um, what was that like as an experience to to kind of, you know, start travelling around with as a as a member of the Timberland team, you know, Timberland, the massive worldwide, um, like. I'm assuming you look back fondly on those times, you know, just as part of your own story and your and your life. But what was that like at the time? Oh, it was brilliant. It really was. It was great. Really, really good. They, they, to, to be fair to them as well at the time, they, they, they were genuinely trying to do something. Um, doing things like organics. They worked with um, Care International, and making sure that factory standards and that were good. You know, the first thing we were told was, Try and get organic. Try and get recycled. Obviously, there's a price limit where it, it, it's going to bottom out, where you have to draw a line under it. But generally speaking, they try to put stuff together. We had to do 40 hours of um, charity work a year. That was that. That, that just came with the with, with the company. Like I said, if they sent you out to Hong Kong to go and work somewhere. You went um, club class. You stayed in a decent hotel. They wanted you to go and work there straight away. So you go there for a week. But you'd literally start working when you landed. Okay. So it, 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 it was quite nice. the experience. And it was a great crew. Really, really good crew of lads. Still a lot of good friends there as well. So it's interesting. So what year, would that, like what sort of, not necessarily like to the exact year, but what sort of period are we talking there? That's um, 2007 to end of 2009. Yeah, so and I was... That, Timbaland were a little bit probably ahead of their time then in terms of looking at recyclable, you know, products and 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 uh, factory conditions and things like that, because, um, you know, like I know a lot of places these days, kind of try and use things like recyclable and um, that type of fabric or or materials as a selling point. But yeah. it sounds as if Timberland were on that train quite early. Yeah, they got on very, very quick. Really, really quick. That, 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 that was something that... And we, we tried to build it as well, tried to make sure... Mm. It, there was one one of the jackets. This was another favourite, actually. One of them, uh, I did a kind of lumber jacket kind of thing, proper old um, uh, New England check. And that was all recycled wool. That was all made from um, stuff that had been made before and then rewoven and things like that. So... That was another challenge to engineering products to try and do it like that and make it, um, uh, you know, as, uh, as as cost effective, but still, you know, working with the right sort of people, working with the right factories, and make it as organic as possible and try and do something with it. That that's something that when they started it, I could take that any any brand that I've worked with since because after Timberland, I've been freelance, so I've worked yeah. for even doing them. Um, uh, some of the other brands and that I've worked for them from on a freelance basis, and I've okay. quite a lot of different clients, you know. After that, but that's so, gone. The, the, they were they were they, they were ahead of the game there. Very yeah. Ahead. Um. So, so you uh, at Timberland? Where did uh, where did you go from there? After that, I went freelance. So the the first job I did uh, after Timberland was Quicksilver. Over okay. in France. Now, uh, again, really nice experience. I worked from home most of the time remotely, and then every every other week, I'd go out to uh, Saint Jean de Luz in the south of France, just south of Biarritz, and go and wow. work with 
three or four days. They get put up in a hotel and that there. And it's like being James Bond. They'd send them, they send the flight booking, they'd send the hotel booking, they'd send them a car booking so I could drive around there. So that, that was quite cool. Man. That was a nice thing to work on. I just did a six months, six months there. It got brought in to do a, a, a collection, a capsule collection for them. So that that was enjoyable. And then after that, it starts to pick up then. Work yeah. for, I've worked for I worked for an agency um, based in London uh, and ended up working with uh, North Face. I worked with Barracuda. Did the last UK collection for Barracuda before it went to Italy. Okay. Uh, Loop, which was uh, that was a good learning experience. They were uh, really excited about trying to do something. A lot of what's flavoured the work that I've done since. Um, okay. So Killer Loop, I'm not as uh... I'm not as familiar with them. Um, what sort of stuff do they do? Well, the Killer Loop thing started as, um, I think that started as a, a surf brand, really. Yeah. Um, but they wanted to do something geared more towards oh, So it was like extreme sports. The, the, the idea of it, the story behind it, was to do something with um, guys who were snowboarding doing extreme skiing but then they were filming them stuff people taking gopros with them and stuff and yeah. actual professional photographers that snowboarded as well so there was quite a lot of stories to get into strangely enough i, I, I missed the roses at eaton park working on that um, collection strange mm. one of the one of the small disappointments of it well you, you've got tight deadlines a lot of the time when you're doing um uh, when you're doing freelance if you've got a lot of experience you're either brand building or you're firefighting, which means yeah. basically stuff that hasn't worked out for them. They need a collection and they need to just come in and make it right. So that's okay. uh, that, 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 that's kind of what happens with that sort of thing. So your deadlines are really tight for it. So you can be working like till midnight every night. Seven I'd eight. imagine that there's like, like quite a lot of pressure involved in that sort of thing then, where you're, you're on a lot of deadlines and long days, is it? Absolutely. That's where the pattern cutting comes in. That's why if a factory comes back and they can't make something, you need to be able to tell them how to make it. You need to be able to show that. And sometimes cut the pattern for them and send it out to the factory. Otherwise, they've got to make a sample, they send it back to you. You have to make all the comments on it, get it fitted. It's, it, it, it lengthens the process. If you can cut a pattern for people, that's it. You, you know how to make the actual garment yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and I suppose that's um, I got I got to say like I find it really um, I find it really impressive like not just that you can design the clothes but that you can you know you can build it from effectively from scratch um, and like you say you're able to if there's any issues you can tell the factory exactly where they need to go or what they're doing wrong or you know what what they need to do um, so how did you or how did the the kind of the the Bonneville job come up? How did that opportunity come about for you? Did they spot something, you know, some sort of your work? Was there a particular thing which had caught their eye, or did you have contacts there already? It, it came through a friend that I worked with at Timberland, a good mate of mine. Who's, um, he's a garment tech, so his his part of the process normally is to actually build the garment with you. Okay. And put together with. I know him um, through the Northern Soul team, really. Mm. We were friends anyway. 
Um, and he got brought in to do some Garmin tech work for Maastricht. And um, when he went and had a meeting with them, they were looking to rebuild the Bonneville label. The guy that owned it, um, very friendly with um, Lorenzo and with the family, and he bought the actual label off them. And he wanted to make it into something special. I mean, he tried a couple of different people, and that. I won't go into names and that, a couple yeah. of them with their own labels. Um, but it wasn't working out really. It wasn't what he wanted. And I, I think this is where this goes right back to the starting point. That if you're going to do a label that's been started by someone like Massimo Oste, if you're going to if you're going to dip into that, you can't just replicate what he did. You've got to build on the actual work that he put in. Try and get into the mind of him. Try and at least be on the same page and, and try to be an engineer of a gun. Try and create something that, that's got utility value. That that's got something different about it, really. Yeah. And that, so, that's how that came about. I just wanted to kind of circle back a little bit, just for if there's anyone who's watching this, and maybe you mentioned uh, Lorenzo, and then you mentioned uh, Massimo uh, Otti, uh, Osti, sorry. Um, just for the people who are not aware, who are those two gentlemen? Well, Massimo Osti was the brains behind CP Company, Stone Island, uh, Bonneville, of course. Yeah. And on the left hand, ST95. And a lot of the work that he put in is what's completely inspired. Like, he was the first person that, that did Garmin die. He was the first person, I think, that really tried to get genuine utility garments, military, workwear, things like that, and make them accessible to people. So actually look at the way a lining's worn in something and be able to change it. Um, Lorenzo was his son, yeah. and um, he looks after, unfortunately, Massimo passed away in 2006. Yes. But Lorenzo keeps hold of the archive there, and he's still involved. Um, he's uh, got a presidential position at CP Company now. But he'd always wanted to keep that. And like his father, he was a, he's a, a graphic designer. Mm -hmm. What a lot of people don't know about Massimo was... He's a graphic designer. It was about colour, graphics, things like that. And then he, he got the right people around him to try and create something that was just new, totally new. Um, that That's what inspired me to go from being a tailor and a pattern cutter into actually doing what I do now. Yeah. That was a dream. I was I was looking at buying Lomo Vogue and things like that in the 80s and seeing all these clothes about. And it was just so, so far away. So to be given the chance to get to something like Bonneville, but Lorenzo was still involved in it as well. I, I had the good fortune of going over to the archive. I met Lorenzo in 2013. Wow. And he came to view he came to view the Bonneville collection because it was going to be the, the big relaunch. And uh, to be honest, in fact, I should have retired there and then. He, he actually said to me, this is brilliant. This is, this is building on my dad's work. And some of it has taken it on and done it better. Than wow. He, it was like the detachable linings and things like that. Yeah. And um, a system for Bonneville. I've, I've always been interested in the end consumer being okay. active in the, in, in the garments, which is obviously leading to a way to apparel on that. Of course, I've always, yeah. always wanted people to be, to be able to look at it and decide how they wear it, rather than just buy something, pay the money for it, stick a badge on it, and then off you go. Yeah. So I've put together a system for that where everything was modular. So different garments would fit inside other ones. Um, 
but they could be worn on their own. I mean, having worked for um, Timberland, where everything was three and one, so it was very performance, yeah. and worked with the North Face, this was something that was happening for proper performance, where people going hiking and, and skiing. But no one had sort of come into the idea, really, at the time, of being able to take a jacket, say, like a fleecy jacket, something like um, something like this one, whether you can see that you can't it's a bit high you'd have to you'd have oh. to bring it down lower yeah now you can just about see yeah but basically something that you could wear a jersey a sweatshirt yeah. and fasten it into a, a coat that you could wear in summer and suddenly you've got a winter garment yeah of course that was the idea and then the consumer the, the, the customer at the end they're deciding which one they they put inside there and they can keep adding to it they can if if you're going to make something this is one of the, the, the problems with um, disposable clothing. You've got to make something well if you're going to charge money for it. You've got to make yeah. something really good. But that means that it's going to last for season after season after season. So you've got to create a, a, an idea where people can build something onto it. They can put their own hood on it. And it will fit onto 10 different jackets. That was the idea of doing a modular system for it. And I think right. that's what Lorenzo was touching on. When he liked the idea that he liked the idea that people could just put different jackets inside other ones and make a heavy coat, make a small one. You could wear a, a, something in spring, summer, put another jacket inside, and then you could go out in the Arctic with it. And that, that was what I tried to do with Donovan. But it was, it's, it's, that's so unique, isn't it? You know, that's just such a. I can I can see why why he would be impressed by that. And like you said, he. He was impressed by the fact that you were not only taking on his father's, um, I've forgotten the word, but what his father had already built and what he had, you know, what they had already built as a family, and you'd taken it on and give put you know put your own twist on it and your own thing and take it on further. And I think, like again, like I mentioned earlier, like looking back, that just has to be so special for you. Uh, personally and professionally to be able to look back on that um, and think not only did I have this amazing opportunity which you earned to to work with this amazing company with these amazing people who've who've changed the game in terms of clothes like like to me like Stone Island and CP company they're still the the cream of the crop you know they they changed my whole outlook on clothes and what I wore when I discovered Stone Island jackets. And even now to this day, I've got a ridiculous amount of coats, as my wife tells me. But <laughs> nine, time, nine times out of ten, I will always go to my Stone Island coats. Always. Um, and it's just the way it is. And do you know what? Out of all the coats I've had, um, like Prada or Weekend Vendor or... Um, Stone Island ones, Burberry ones. The Stone Island ones always last the longest. They always, um, they, I find them to be the best quality, the best, the most durable. And I, 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 I'm a firm believer, like especially I think it's even more so since I've had kids, that you should get what you pay for. So like if you're going to spend four or five hundred quid on a coat, like let's not make it so it rips when you just lift an arm or something. Yeah. the first day of getting it do you know what i mean like you know i'm all for quality and and how it looks and everything but maybe i've become a bit more practical since i've had kids and i've got a bit older i don't know but um 
Yeah. A lot of the ideas that came out of um, Austin Studio, they've just been adapted by everyone. I mean, sportswear now is, is very different. Like the Italians in those days called what Stone Island would do. They called it sportswear. I've always yeah. sportswear. Literally, it's like Nike, Adidas. Yeah, yeah. That's what I would think of it as well. Sportswear. They see that kind of casual clothing, what we might call terrace wear, or, or casual clothing. I've always mm. felt that a bit of a Marmite expression, really. It's a bit beige, isn't it? Casual yeah. wear, it's, all bit, it's, it's a bit mum at C and A, really. But yeah, what what came out of that now has just been adapted by the industry, and all, all the brands, like you mentioned, a few brands that you know they do decent enough stuff. It's nice enough. But what what what's the story behind it? What's real? Like nowadays, the the, the landscape of clothing, I, I can understand this changing a lot from um, online stuff. It's all about sweatshirts and just a brand, and that's it. You know, it can be nice, decent quality and stuff. But it's has it got something in there that's special? Has it got something other than the brand? I mean, like Stony and CP Company, I've got decades of heritage, research, development. They've got an enormous, enormous operation behind them to make things like that happen. And a lot of what we look at now is the result of that, and also a bit of nostalgia. They've created, they've created a story now that just fulfills itself. Whereas a lot of, a lot of brands, and I don't want to slag other brands off. If you make nice clothes, you make nice clothes. At the end of the day, it's what you wear when you go out. But for me, it's been more about being able to let the end customer be involved in it. And have a part of it because it goes to the men in suits. Like, make, yeah. make no mistake, everyone has to answer to someone. There's always going to be a management um, firm up there. But a lot of the people that own businesses now are, are, are investors, you know, they're financial investors. They're, they've not got a passion for the clothing. They realize that it's a huge industry and the industry starts to take over the creativity. And I think that's something that, that's what led me to work with Alan, he has a, a, a vision about keeping something within the people that are interested in that clothing, within, within the people that are passionate about it. You know, whether it's trained, most people it's trainers and jackets really, isn't it? That's, yeah. that's what most, most guys' wardrobe is trainers and jackets. You buy jeans based on the fit that you like. Um, you'll buy, um, you, you might have a standard place for t-shirts and sweats that you go for, something catches your eye. But most of the time, it's about for me. It's jackets. I'm not a trainer designer. Um, I've got a few pairs of trainers, but I'm, I'm more of a boot wearer. A bit of the old mod still left in those days. Hmm. But um, they don't really have the passion about it. It's it's looking at something that happened before, rather than actually creating something that's a bit more new generation. You know, it, yeah. needs, it needs to appeal to people, and it needs to have something a little bit more about it. That the industry's got a chance of being a little bit more. Uh, flexible in terms of seasons and things like that. But there are opportunities now. I mean, I, I said six months for a brand to do a collection, but there's no reason why it can't be um, divided up a little bit, a little bit cleverer. And rather than it just being something that has to make an investor a load of money, to make something that appeals to everyone and they can be a part of. And I think something at, at the moment, it's almost like football clubs. You look at a club like Barcelona, enormously successful club but it's owned by the fans really the, the fans are stakeholders in that club yeah. and that's why it's probably everyone's second team but apart from Real Madrid fans it's hard to find someone that doesn't like a club like that and the yeah, club for sure. become the same 
you know, there's opportunities in that there. And the tail always ends up like a dot. So you end up with, um, you end up producing a range, beautiful story, lots, lots going on there. And then it just gets stripped down to some sweatshirts, some t-shirts, one jacket. Doesn't really say anything about it. Now, I, I got fed up with that, really. I think I, I've got a bit fed up with doing that, where it just becomes, oh, like, it's just another load of clothing, and then Black Friday will come up and it all goes into sale, and people will wait for the sale man, as well, because they know it's coming. Yeah, and I think, like, for instance, if you look at, like, CP company jackets with the goggles on the on the hood, that's just so unique that um, it just attracts it attracts the eye and people who've got a certain kind of taste in clothing if you want to call it terrace wear whatever you would like to call it is but but it's that that style and um where stone island jackets adidas trainers those everyone's got once you find the place uh you know so these days it's more of a an online shop or store but once you find a place which sells the the clothing and the designers that you like nine times out of ten you're always going to go back to that same one or at least i do like you know i will have a little shop around but generally if i find somewhere which sells the stuff that i like at a decent price handily then i'll always go back to that one but i like clothes which stand out um and you've used the term a couple of times about um clothing and designs having a story behind them so whether it's your your CP company with the the goggles and your Stone Island stuff, um, even going back as far as like the Burberry checks and the, the Aquascutum checks, these are like iconic classic, um, classic designs which people instantly know what it is. Instantly, like it doesn't take a second glance, people know what it is. Um, do you think, like? Um, there's there's something within when we get to a day. Well, well, we'll move on to away day apparel now because there is something which I wanted to discuss with you, which I know Alan's talked about before, which is the the tribute to um, Peter Whittenham in the pocket. Um, I've forgotten the name. I think was it a PW seven pocket or something like that. But, yeah. um, but that that's that's a part of the ongoing development. I mean, the idea just to to move on to away day apparel. Yeah. So, I tell you what, then before before we go there, how did you how did you become involved with Away Day Apparel? Like, how did you two guys come together? It it came through a friend off the, one of the Blackwood lads that goes okay. out soul scene. My wife uh, DJ's rare soul travelled all over the place, and we've been away a couple of times with uh, Jay and Robert from um, uh, uh, from Blackwood, and got to know them and things, talking about it. And um, Jay's obviously a good friend of Alan's. Got a lot, yeah. of, uh, a lot of history going out around Europe and that watching the watching the team and stuff. And it was Jay posting something up on Facebook about away day apparel. And I said, Oh, you know, if you need if you need to do any out while let me know. And it's been it's been a couple of years since since we first made contact. And Alan's built this up as, you know, um, to be honest, the stories he, he's already built up. We all know what away day apparel means. Yeah, of course. Actual story for a brand. The two words themselves, apparel, obviously, it's cold. What do you need for an away day? What's it all about to everyone? The Millie that you mentioned before, that's a prime example. You don't need another jacket with you, do you? No. 
So that was it was through Jay and then uh, Alan and I. We we finally met up last last summer. It was and talked about doing some bits and pieces. I had a, I had a contract on with someone else, and to be honest, I, I know it sounds very obvious after everything we've been talking about, but to actually focus on doing outerwear and building the story around that outerwear, it's a full time job. It takes a lot yeah. of time to actually get involved in that and to make it work. So we've been talking, trying different ideas. I've got a little bit involved in some of the graphics on the tees. But it's researching the manufacturer, getting the right kind of fabric, putting a strategy down that's going to be a price point, things like that. They're all a big part of it, really. They need to happen right at the start. It's a big, big jump up going from um, sort of T-shirts and sweats into doing stuff that's really exciting. There was a few things that I'd done. Um, little experiments that I tried on other garments and things, um, which is when Whittingham Pocket came out of. Still under wraps at the moment and still uh, still in the R&D part of it. But we wanted to make something with it that's not only kept within the football community, kept out of the hands of the suits and that, so it doesn't just become a brand carrier. Yeah. Something like that, but something where the lads that are actually going on away days They've got something that they, that, that they want to wear. It's exciting. It does the job for them. And that, that's kind of where it where it, it started to move forward. And I've, I've just come back from uh, just come back from Kefali as well. So uh, we yeah, I was going to say about where we can uh, where we can take it and what the next next steps might be. Hence doing the show and that as well. And, and yeah, yeah. The, the, the rest of the guys. So it's like. I say to Alan all the time, like, away day apparel is really special, um, you know, to me because it's, it's my mate's brand and, and we kind of, over the last year where the podcast has been doing well, his uh, away day apparel has been going well and we've been kind of interlinked alongside each other as we've been, you know, helping each other out and whatnot. But... Um, I'm really excited to, you know, to really see where the, the brand goes and the plans for it. Um, are you able to kind of discuss where you see it, you know, what, what, where you guys see it going and, and what, what, what your vision is really for, for the future? Well, the next thing, really, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm at an opportunity at the moment where I'm out of work at the minute. So uh, we're plugging myself a little bit later, hmm. a little bit further down the line on that. But to make it happen, we need, we need to put the collection together. It doesn't need to be huge. doesn't need to go everywhere. Yeah. But a little storytelling idea about what Away Day Apparel means. We've got the logo. We've got the imagery. Everything's all there. There's already a, a lot of people interested. And that's all over Europe as well. I know the, uh, the lads at uh, uh, Lazio and Antwerp, as well as, uh, as well as a lot of British lads and that all around the country, but really, really enthusiastic and wanted to work. Yeah. I want something that's going to be a little bit more authentic. So it's now, now we're at the time where we want to take it to, we want to take it to the engineering stage and actually create something that, that something of value, something that the guys are all a part of, that they're interested in. And that actually does what all those clothes that we've been talking about, whether it's Stone, ECP, something that actually does that. And um, it's it's about creating a level of um, excitement. This is what I mean by storytelling. You want something that's going to have utility value. You want a pocket that's going to do something for you. Yeah. So 
just having to, uh, just another jacket with a logo on. It's fine, but it'd be nice to have something that's a lot more than that, that's got a lot more depth, that's a lot more value for people. The, the, when I say value, obviously we live in a day where people like Primark are running the high street. I'm talking about something that's actually, it's got an intrinsic value to it. Yes. It's got an authenticity about it. And then something that's coming from people that actually are football lads. You know, they want to wear clothing. Not not just lads that go go to the match, but people that are following that actual scene, that whole group. And that's all across Europe. It doesn't matter where you go. There's going to be groups of lads who want really top-class quality products as well cut really nice fabric but there's something a bit different about it yeah they want people want something which is unique doesn't it they um and i think as well is is people do like to if they find something which they enjoy uh or which they like whether it's a, a tv show a podcast a radio show a band uh, a clothing brand and if they if they discover it and they're in you know they discover it when it's on its way up they they like to be a part of the journey so um as well as liking having something unique and something which stands out and something which is good quality they also like being on the journey on the way up uh, as it, as things get popular people by human nature like to be almost like i was there at the start sort of thing do you know what i mean and i think um like i've watched away day apparel over the last year really really grow and see you know, I've seen the, the the you know the amount of stuff he's selling, the the amount of people contacting him, and uh, footballers you know wearing the t-shirts and things like this. And it's, you know, it's I'm excited for him. Um, so Lord knows how you know you guys must feel even more excited because you obviously have got on top of that. You've also got the you know, what you two are discussing about, oh, we're going to go in this direction and we're going to go in that direction. So it's, you've got like both sides of the excitement, if that makes sense. Yeah, what, what you said there about people wanting to be on the journey is exactly the, the, the idea about it. Everyone, everyone gets involved in something at the start. When you call in an investor, it loses the flavour. It loses that sort of flavour. It loses the authenticity. And yeah. every, all of a sudden, everyone that the brand was designed for and that were there at the start, they get shut out of it. They get yeah. completely closed out of it. Everyone wants to be kind of a, a stakeholder. The idea for me for um, something like um, Away Day Apparel is to keep what Alan started and keep it, keep everyone the stakeholders of it. Let them be a part of the brand. That means interaction, taking people through the engineering process, that kind of thing. That's, the, that's what interests me about it. You know, it's easy to just buy buy stuff from a different brand, but to actually be a part of it and a part of, I hate to say the journey, but to be a part of that journey. Yeah, it is, isn't it? But it, that's what it is. It's, it is a journey because it's going from, you know, A to B, if you like, uh, and it's, it's getting on board uh, as it goes along. And I think there's something to be said for that. I really do. Um, and like, even with, like, just quickly going back, like, to the podcast... There's a couple of, well, there's more than a couple, but there's a few guys who watch the football show who will comment every now and again. And we're on, I think, overall, we're on about episode 230-odd, I think, was yesterday's episode. But they were there on episode, like, two and three. 
and if you look back in the comments they're in there and they every now and again they like to just sort of say we were here on episodes three or four and i think they enjoy that aspect of it as well of the they've watched it grow and watched it develop and watched it change and evolve into into different ideas and different things and trying different things this i think there's definitely something to be said for that um I think it's essential, to be honest. It's uh, things like this need they need people to support it. They need people. Yes. To, it's a big undertaking to to, to go from um, uh, the idea of putting a brand together and then turning it into something that's, that's going to appeal to everyone that they're still a part of. It is a big undertaking um, to actually do it. I mean, the the ideal for something like this would I'd love to have it all made in the UK. Of course. So, do stuff work with guys in the UK certainly in, um, in in Europe initially that's going to be the starting point anyway really um, but it'd be wonderful to actually to, to put something back into it and to keep it here within within what we're trying to do with it I mean it'd be great to be able to get stuff made over in Wales of course you know, was. There, was a, there, there was an old industry there people used to make stuff there it was a Burberry factory there wasn't there yeah, yeah, well, we were talking about that. Alan and I were talking about it when, when I was over in Wales. The idea to actually keep it within people's, um, uh, uh, within a fan base and make it almost like, a, I don't know, get people involved, almost like season tickets. That's what, yeah. uh, that's what you do with football. Football's a great analogy for it. And it's also, it's, it's the heart and soul of, 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 of why we're doing that. that. That's where this type of, this type of clothing, isn't it? I hate giving things titles and things because hmm. then they become something, you know. Yeah. But that whole casual movement that started in the late 70s, really, what really took off in the 80s and then into the 90s of everyone wearing, initially sportswear, a lot of sportswear, people started doing their, guys started doing their own thing, flared jeans, cutting your coats up the side and that, the whole hmm. train movement. And, and then buying things like uh, uh, Millie's and things like that. Yeah, all, all those garments that that's the heritage of it that's that's what's built on it but you don't want to ju- just look backwards you want to be able to see what's the next step what about the younger lads that are trying to buy into those garments that maybe don't realise it you know they don't realise what it's, it's full heritage was what the full story is it's to make sure that that's there for them it's served on the plate and it stays there that they can be interactive in it they can be a part of it so you know it would be wonderful um, here, UK. Got yeah, time. I was no. I was going to say um, I've discussed with Alan a couple of times about um, well, a couple of things. Really, first of all, going back to something you said about um, the un- the massive like the undertaking of creating a a brand, uh, which where you know whatever the brand is, um, it is a lot. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of stress. Um, but I would say there's nothing more satisfying I've discovered in the last year or so that taking something from an idea to like something just knocking around in your head, oh, I'd like to do that, to then it being a thing which people are invested in um, is about as satisfying uh, a thing as I've ever had. And I, that's just speaking from a personal point of view. And like, you know, I'm not like the podcast channel and stuff it's not massive 
it's, it's growing and I'm happy with the, the growth and where it is. It's, it's bigger than I thought it was going to be, which is sometimes a bit overwhelming in some, in some aspects of it because it's yeah. un, unexpected. But I'm also like, I can look back and think, wow, you know, I, it, was, it was an idea and I've turned it into this. No one can take that away from me. Um, and then there's all different aspects to it. And I've completely lost the second part of my point. I can't remember what I was going to say now. But I'm sure it was a cracking point. Nonetheless, <laughs> it was probably... probably a, part, no. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it, would have, it would have been an absolute cracker. I can't remember what it was, though. Ah. It, it is satisfying, though, once, you, once you, you can look back and you put something together. The hard, the hard thing with um, clothing is you've actually got to make something. People have got to be able to buy it. Yeah. And that, that's where it becomes the big undertaking. It takes a lot of work anyway, but it also takes a lot of finance. None, none of us are millionaires. This this is something where if we're going to be able to do this, I need to be able to get the support of the yes. guy out there. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the moment, I'm going to be doing um, a Patreon for it. Kind of like idea. A, something like that to make sure that we can do it. As I said, I'm out of work at the moment. So mm. like a lot of people I'm sure of, COVID and stuff, but now it's an opportunity to make this actually happen. Because otherwise, I mean, I'm, although I'm a Manchester lad, I'm, I'm based in London. Mm. Which is <coughs> short of actually owning a football club, there's no better way than to see money just disappear. It's yeah. ridiculous. So mm-hmm. it's, I'd like it to stay within within the community, within the football community, within all the lads that are already supporting it. But it's going to need some support to make it happen. And that, that means doing something like Patreon. That, that, I think, as well, opportunities like that, that stops you having to go to an investor. Yeah. What this happens with brands is eventually you start with something great. Master and I think started with the lab that started in Donman. It was about eight jackets. Wow. Now, when you go into stores, if you if you were to go to any of the, the big chains, flannels, any of the big guys that are doing stuff, most of what you'll see there will be sweatshirts, sweatshirts, polos, tees. Because they're already committed to buying off people, and they have they have spreadsheets to do this. It's all about number crunching and finance. It takes away from what the garment is. So you'll get big players like Stony CP that they've got huge marketing behind them. It, it's 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 a huge global story. If we're going to make it happen, then it's going to need some kind of support. But I'd like it to stay like. And to stay within within the same group of lads that are interested in it, and get yeah. it started like that, and actually take it to the next level, keep it within the hands of, uh, of people who actually value the, the the product that's going there to to buy into the idea and take them through the engineering process. You know, let them be a part of it. Membership, you know, where it becomes something where you've got names inside jackets or the names on the website it means that something like away day apparel, rather than being a part of some big investment company. It's actually just it's it's all the guys that are a part of it that are making it happen. It means I, I personally I can deliver the kind of product that they want to them on a regular basis because it's not something that you can do. You can't do it like a hobby. It's not a part time no. job. The amount no, of time no. trying to do my own thing, you know, working mm. for people, you think oh do some work at the weekend. It doesn't happen. You've got to get yeah. out of factories. You've got to find them. You've got to source fabric. You've got to be able to, you've got to check the quality of the gear all the time, right the way through the process as well to make sure. Doing experiments with fabric dyeing. That was one of the things that really appealed about um, Austin. 
Yeah. That, that whole garment dye, different fabrics layered up and using different dye techniques and things to be able to do it. To be able to take um, some old army garment, look at what they did with the pocket. Again, the Millet's got that. They've envelope pockets on there. They've all come from, that's come from um, uh, a Swiss army garment. You know, go to a second-hand army store, you'll find camo, things like that. You'll find those pockets there. But they've been deconstructed and reworked and things like that, put into really fantastic technical fabrics. I want to be able to do that with a way day apparel and turn it into that. that I've little stories of things that, that have got um, a bit of excitement about them. The guys that are already supporting the brand, they feel a part of that as well. It's for them, really. Yeah, yeah and the thing is, mate, like I can feel your uh, your optimism and your excitement around it as you're talking about it. Do you know what I mean? And I think yeah. that rubs off on people is when you're talking about something and when you're so passionate about something and you believe um, and you can see where you want to take it, that it rubs off on people very quickly that does um so like a couple of things i was going to say just quickly circling back to uh to to my, to my coats um one of my favorite coats is actually um not a designer coat it's um i went i went to germany i think in about just year 2002 or something i um i went to germany and we went to a military surplus store and i bought this uh, like authentic green parka like a proper proper military uh, military parker, and the 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 inside comes out like you were discussing earlier about the the modulars and that. Um, yeah. It comes out, and uh, it's still to this day is my favourite coat. Even even beats my Stone Island coats because I just it's just just it's got the look and it's got the colour which I really really like, and it's uh, it's interesting. Say again, sorry. Like an olive green. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. And it's, uh, but it's just a, it's, it's a, just a legit, legitimate military coat, which I got from an army surplus store. It's just one of those things. Um, and then um, the other thing I was going to say about Patreon is um, what Patreon does is it can create this kind of, um, you know, like they used to talk about Fergie creating this kind of siege mentality. Where with his squads, where it was the everyone else was against us, everyone's against us, the media is against us, the the commentators are against us, the fans are against, everyone hates us. It's all about just us. We're together, and I think what Patreon can do is can create that almost exclusivity among the people who support the brand, who are going to support the brand anyway, because they're going they're buying the stuff because they want to support it for whatever reason. Um, so if you can create different reward systems within patreon they're most likely going to do that anyway because they were going to support it and it makes them feel a part of it as they're going along and then if you've got like one of the higher rewards being you know your name will be on the inside of the jacket which is a limited edition there's only going to be x amount made that's something special which can never be taken away you know and i think there's um there's something to be said like i think Patreon is really interesting to me from a, from a podcasting point of view as well. Um, I think probably what I've said from the start, like at, at some point down the road, I'll probably start creating some Patreon exclusive podcasts um, because you know the amount of time and the equipment I've got and everything—it's not free. You know, I like I spend a lot of time 
recording stuff. So it at some point that'll be an option. Um and I'll create special rewards and different things. But with clothing, I think there's there's a real unique chance that the those rewards that you can create from the different tiers of you know how much you basically for people who aren't familiar with Patreon, um you'll have like tiers. So say the the bottom tier might be like a couple of pounds a month, then you'll have five pounds a month and ten pounds a month and then you'll have like some higher tiers that you can set, I think, as many or as little as little as you want. And then with each tier you'll get a reward. So um so for for just because I the most familiar with it. So from a podcasting point of view at the bottom tier you might get like a free question and answer podcast where if you're a member of that tier you can you know send in unlimited questions which to watch a podcast and take part in whatever that only you are able to if you're on that tier and then you know you up it and you might have a on the slightly higher one you might have a t-shirt if you've been there supporting it for three months or something and you know you get a picture whereas i guess clothing you can there's so many unique ways to reward the supporters that it's, it's almost never-ending, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, you, you, you can start to tear it towards um, groups of guys. I mean, I mentioned the Antwerp lads and, and the Lazio guys and all that. They could literally have stuff for their club. It becomes something for them. You know, yeah. it, it's their exclusive thing if, if they're supported through things like Patreon. I, I just think things like that, when having been so long in business and seeing the way that nowadays the whole thing is corporate. I mean, it is a, it, it's, it's a garment industry or fashion industry. So the, the, the word industry at the end of it means that you're always going to attract corporate investment. But yes. then they take hold of it and they, they, they water it down. It, it happens to Austin. That's why he kept moving from CP Stoney. That's why he moved on to left hand because he wanted to do things that were of value. In those days, there wasn't Patreon and things like that available, Kickstarter, crowdfunding, all yeah. those things. But to actually keep it within there and, and reward the people that like it, as you were saying before, um, guys, um, they want to be there from the start and they want to see it develop. You can reward through tears and create different um, levels of excitement and interest and do something really special. I mean, I've a podcast I, I could see it working as well because then it's rather than having to go through um, some kind of uh, corporate radio station and suddenly they, you know they're setting the rules for it it works yeah. the same with, uh, it works the same with clothing rather than it going to someone and then everyone just gets what's left at the end what goes to retail means they start to shape it I mean, yeah. design you can't do design by committee because everyone's going to have their own experience Course, and some yeah. people really bother, just want to buy something that they like at the end. But if you get them involved in the process of engineering something, I mean, you touched on the PW7 pocket, it's a really, really good idea to start to bring that kind of engineering into people and show them why it does what it does. The amount of times that you design a collection and by the time it goes to sale, the story that you created for something just gets lost why you did that, why you've done a particular neck on the T-shirt, a pocket. We, had, we, we always had that with the torch on the Mastroom jacket. Funnily enough, at one time, and the old Bill came into uh, into the offices there and were like, you know, football lads, brand this. <laughs> you know that could be used as a cash, don't 
Oh, yeah. You know, it can also be used as a torch and lit it. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what it is. You can use anything as a torch. To be fair to them, they just laughed at them like that, fair boy. Yeah. You, you know, you, you're creating something really um, uh, for people that have got, got something a little bit unique and they're a part of it. And it's a part of their story and they're a part of the brand story. And they stay on board with it. But like you say, you'll get brand loyalty. People will go back to the same thing, especially if they're a part of it and they're seeing how garments are built. I mean, it, it, it's wonderful. When you go online and see it, uh, you can go on YouTube and look at um, Carlo Rivesti taking you around the Stone Island labs and things. That for me, I mean, that's, that's special. Like that's special. Really, that you know, you you kind of looking at something and thinking, wow, five minutes in there. I want to create an actual lab experience to engineer products. I'm in, I'm in the workshop at the moment. This is the workshop as it is. But to be able to let people in there, like, to be able to let all the guys, all that, those fans and that of the brand. Be able to see a bit what what goes into it and to be a part of it, like you were saying, rewards with names inside jackets and things like that, that different tiering. But even just um, supporting it, get pin badges and things. You're a part of the VIP club, really. Yeah, you're a part of the brand. You know, you, you become a part of it. So I think uh, that that some of the new ways of actually making a business happen, what they've called bedroom startups and things, making stuff like that happen musicians who just put themselves out on youtube yes and then they can bypass the big corporations they can bypass all the big music industry and just start to make their own music produce it yourself yeah and it becomes it, it becomes more personal it's tailored to people and that's that, that for me is a good way of, uh, of addressing business now I, I hope on the other side of all this covid that uh, unfortunately businesses are going to go under it i don't think we've seen yeah. That's a way of making sure that the, the guys that are interested in, in the product, they're the ones that are actually part of it being built and they become a stakeholder in it. The stakeholder's got that expression for it, I think. And you just yes. keep away from corporations. Stop it having to uh, make X amount of money to pay those guys back. It's, you're rewarded on it and you're making sure that those garments happen if you're excited and interested in it making sure that the label can actually move up and, and be a little bit more so that, that that's the area that i'm kind of building at the same time as designing the problem that's that's where i want to really be able to take it because i said it before i don't want to keep repeating myself but it's a huge undertaking to do it i've been doing it for donkey's years the reason why everyone doesn't have their own clothing label is because it's just the, the amount that you need to do to put into it to make the um, to make that collection happen, it's too much for most people. It's daunting. Yeah, and I think it's important to have um, no matter what you do. Um, but when you're trying to create something like a brand uh, in clothing or anything else, it's important to have a good team um, of whether those people are working alongside you on the actual brand, but also it's about having the right support around you, um, and you know just like you mentioned lorenzo uh you know the team he uh and sorry it was a massimo you said wasn't it who uh, was more of a graphic designer but he brought in a, a team of people who created something truly special and i think that says everything which i was trying to say about having the right people in the right places doing the right things do what you're good at and leave 
other people to do the things they're good at, but all working together and on the same things towards the same goals. Um, and yeah, it's, it's never ending, isn't it? Like with YouTube and social media, you can you can create these like little behind the scenes clips, like you mentioned, of the workshop and like for instance the PW Seven Pocket. You can do like a, a minute long video, which will just show the, in, the inner workings of it, or you could do a five minute video, what showing it being created, you know. And that's one of the things I said to Alan. This I wouldn't cut the patterns for this. I want to make it happen. So being able to see that process of it being drawn out on paper, the geometrics of it, and then what it becomes once it goes into fabric, how it functions, how it works, how we built it, what the idea is behind it. I want to be able to do that because then it, it, it stays in your control. Most yeah. people sending someone else's garment over to a factory. So base it on this, this block, this fit, um, and then it goes on to someone who's on the computerised part. And then they cut it. Okay. But so, it's, always, it's come from someone else's garment. If you, if you can cut the pattern, you don't need anyone else's garment. You cut it from scratch. That's it. It becomes something that it's almost something like that you've created, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's important to be able to pick up on the legacy that's been left by people like Massimo and the legacy that's still ongoing with people like uh, uh, Stolony and CP and then build on it and create a legacy as well for. But for what away day apparel's about, and to make sure that all the all, all the guys that are uh, everyone that's across Europe, across the world, I mean, obviously with the market for uh, America and China, where football started to take off now, and they're starting to understand the culture behind it as well. Not yeah, just particularly in America, they are, aren't they? It's, it's it's slowly getting there. It it took a while at the time of Master. We tried to take that into the US at the time. Hmm. They didn't understand it. It was all still no. like, pulling up to outside the ground and having barbecues out the back. They didn't really understand that the, when your club's playing, another club there's a rivalry there. But outside of it, we're all in it for the same thing. Everyone's enjoying the same thing. You've all got your own club. You've got your own colours that you wear in. But the actual culture around it's just universal. We're all doing the same thing. Yeah. Which is, Alan's already started it with um, with the, uh, the website with the shop. And actually, I'm in the Rogues Gallery there. So you've got a group of lads and, uh, all from different clubs from all over the place, all buying into the brand because it speaks to them. It speaks yeah. to them about what they're interested in, what they're passionate about. And it's been able to take it to the next stage where there's there's garments that they can be passionate about as well, where they, they feel like they're a part of that building up. It's not, not some investment banker somewhere else who had a few quid to put into a brand and it just so happens that they made some nice stuff. It's where they're a part of it and they're seeing it growing. And that, like, looking at China's the strangest one. I was only out in um, uh, Guangzhou probably two years ago and starting to see that the guys there were actually asking us about football and they ask about the culture because they, they see what they see on the news. So they might see, a, I don't know, a load, a load of lads in uh, somewhere like Russia and that, meeting up in a field and hitting each other over the head with bats and then all going for a, a pint afterwards. It's, it's kind of grown much, much bigger than that. For most people, it's about the clothing. Yes. It's about the, clothing, it's about the way you look. It's about sharing ideas. You don't tend to have the same. You've got like friendly rivalry, but nothing, you know, everyone's everyone's sharing the same culture. And I think that's, that's what a way day apparel can become. 
that's what the next uh, that, that's the next step really is the names there so there's already a story within that as well like like i said before taking taking words like away day and apparel and thinking about what it actually means this is what you're wearing for away days doesn't mean that's the only thing you can wear it for you wear it down at the pub but the story's there that, that that's yeah. why it exists that's why it's actually happening yeah spot on mate spot on um, and speaking of taking things to the next level, um, Alan uh, T texted me the other day, very excited um, that he's having this opportunity next week to uh, appear in a music video, I think, wouldn't it? Yeah, we, we, we're going down there on Saturday. It's the Skinner Brothers. So, yeah, I, I've heard this, uh, the song. Is it called, it's called Away Day, isn't it, the song? Yeah, exactly. But uh, it's actually it's a really good song. I, uh, I really like it. I've, I, I listen to a lot of their stuff, and, and there's a good mixture of sort of sounds. But those lads as well, the band, they're mm. into the same culture. I mean, you can look on the videos on YouTube. You probably know it's the clothing that they're wearing. There's a bit of Sergio in there. It's, it's quite old school, and I think it's fantastic. I, I'm dying to get involved. Dying to get involved. So we're we're going there, going to um, uh, going to be a part of the video on Saturday. So there's a few of us going down. I was, I was coming over towards London. They were in Brentford, so that's that's where it's all going to be taking place. But we're going there this weekend. So yeah, there the music the music video for the Skinner Brothers single "Away Days," featuring "Away Day Apparel," which is so much perfect, isn't it? It's like too perfect. Oh, we're going to do it. It's, uh, all no. the ingredients are there. I mean, a, a lot of things. It's always a good timing. Yeah, of course it is, and you need a bit of luck, mate. You need you need luck, um, no matter what, what, whatever career path you're on. It's um, you need timing, you need luck to be just meet. And do you know what it is? I think with anything, it's sometimes it's about meeting the right person at the right time. Um, not necessarily. Uh, it's not always about the job you're doing or the you know what the career path you're necessarily going it's about someone getting their eyes on what you do just at the right time so whether it's someone catching you know seeing like an away day apparel product or an advert or a or something that you do or or one of my podcasts or you know just something someone sees it they've got they work in broadcast media or they work in clothing designs and they get in contact and they say i really like what you're doing what's your vision for your you know for your brand and it can go off from there and it is just can sometimes be as simple as that in terms of uh, uh you know luck and things like that but of course you need talent and good looks which i've got in abundance <laughs> no you, you, but you know what i mean you need like hard work and talent and all this sort of stuff but you know, so often these things come down to a bit of luck and being in the right place at the right time. Well, hopefully, um, you know, uh, when we go for the video, we'll be able to talk to the guys about plans for the brand. I'm enthusiastic about it. They're, they're, they're young lads. I mean, I'm going to have some old, old, old git designer coming along there. But it, it's nice to see that sort of enthusiasm. And they seem to be on the same. Although this is a musical journey, we're talking about a clothing it's the same thing. They're, they're looking at the same references, the musical references that are, are the same as ours. And it's nice seeing people try and uh, try to do something a bit different. And certainly, they, they, they seem to be exploring a lot of different musical genres. So, 
to see him in away day apparel and be able to be a part of that with the with the song that seems made for us an anthem really yeah um, it's it's going to be good fun. I'm looking forward to looking forward to meeting the uh, meeting the band as well. Indeed, I um I was going to um use that song or a bit of it as the introduction for this show, but um I don't want to get a copyright strike on the channel, so I'm going to have to. Um, which is the most frustrating thing in the world because often I just want to use like twenty seconds of a song just as like an intro. Yeah. To the podcast and an outro, and uh, if you do, sometimes you'd be all right, and then other times they'll rip the video down, and it's so much hassle to try and then get it back up. It's like, it's just, yeah, unfortunately, it's not worth it. Well, hopefully, we'll be we'll be back on there again. Maybe we can get them involved in it as well. Yeah, hundred percent. I had um, an issue. <laughs> I had um, the uh, British indie band The Crooks on. Uh, about, oh, yeah. probably about six months ago and um, they've been they've gone on to bigger and better things now they've been signed to some massive deal in america but they're very very good but i am um, i kind of got speaking to the lead singer and on twitter and i was i really liked their single and i just kind of got to know them through social media and i was like come on the show just all of you come on play a song at the end no one else is doing that like a podcast with a band on and and then having them play a song remotely like uh, since covid like quite a lot of people are doing it but yeah, yeah. you know i i uh, my my claim i was doing it i did it before i did it first but but it was something different and uh, people did seem to really like it it was like they played an acoustic version of um, she walks alone it was really good i had i had a welsh rapper on as well which was you know that was kind of cool, like something just completely different. And again, I said, do you want to, you know, do your single at the end? It's a bit more difficult for a rapper, I think, because yeah. like with a band, they can just play an acoustic version of their song, whereas the rapper, he had to kind of get his decks out or have his decks ready. And But he did it. He did a decent decent enough job. And I like that variety. And, and, and especially these people, like... The band, the rapper, the the Skinner brothers. I said to Al, I'd love to get them on, because I like getting people on their way up. You know, I like to I like yeah. to speak to, and I like not just that, not just about getting people on their way up, but I also I like to shine a light on talented people, um, and particularly in 2020 when everyone can make their own YouTube channel and make their own music and make their own videos and make their own podcasts and you can do it all at the touch of a button on your tablet or your phone or your you know your computer um if i do come across like a band or singer or whatever who's quite talented and i can help even if it's just shine a light on them so a few people from cardiff know who they are you know no i'm not trying to uh make out that i've got like these millions and millions of followers but what i can do is the people who do watch my channel, I can show them, and then if they like it, they'll show their mates, and it's all away about we go. About it, really, and trying to so then it branches out into a community where everyone's helping each other out. Yeah, that, 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 that's all you can ask for, really, isn't it? That's that, that. That's what you want. You want to try and help each other, show the way. Say if you can showcase talent in any way, that's how it'll all grow. So. Uh, Hopefully we'll you know we'll be able to come back on here again and uh, uh, bring the lads lads back along there or come on with Alan 
keep you posted and uh, we can get the uh, the Skinner brothers involved as well. I think, yeah, I, I think it's great seeing all that sort of thing. And uh, like I say, uh, uh, any kind of formula format that everyone's got for making things happen makes sense to me. I mean, the same for you as well. Yeah, 100%. Really? I am. Um... Like, I I said to... Who did I say it to? I can't remember. I said to someone the other day, they said... Because um, I was on, I was trying to get them to come on for a podcast. And they said, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm not very well known. I don't think people will want to listen to me. And I sort of said, well, to be honest with you, I'm interested in telling people's stories. They're not interested in whether they've got, like, X amount of followers or something. I want to speak to interesting people about their stories and their life and their, their their experiences and you know that's I like doing that um, you see, it's just, the thing though isn't it like when, when you're getting people on there if it's someone that's already like you know you were saying about footballers and, and you know a lot of the MMA guys and that they're, they're already in the public domain so they're a bit, bit used to having a, a camera and being asked on. yeah I didn't know what to expect on this so uh this is uh, this is the first sight, and you always think people aren't going to be interested in hearing that. I mean, there's lots of anecdotes and things, <laughs> lots of stories I could say about. Uh, hopefully, we'll save that for another time. But um, I don't know if people are. They are, aren't they? I, th- I think it's a great format just to be able to say piece, really, and be able to talk through why you're doing what you're doing, where you've been, yeah, what your plans are, and like what I said to you before we started probably 45 minutes to an hour and I said to you also you know once we get talking it'll be you know we'll be off on all sorts of tangents and here we are an hour and a half later and <laughs> I'm kind of going to finish it not because you know I got to finish it it's it's more just right we're at that sort of hour and a half yeah and though I don't want it to be too long as opposed to we've run out of things to talk about <laughs> but um, no so uh, AD, are you on social media? Uh, Facebook, um, Instagram, but I've not really been. I've, I've been a bit slack with social media. It's taken me a while to get my head around it. Don't get involved in Twitter and things like that, but I'll be aiming to get a little bit more involved in that. But Facebook, definitely. I noticed um, uh, you're on the, the business one as well, LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn. Do you know, LinkedIn's done wonders for me in terms of finding guests and stuff because i found that people are more inclined like if i say if i message a, a footballer or a cricketer or whoever they'll answer me on linkedin but if i message message the same person on twitter i don't think they would answer me it's weird how it works but it's been a real good tool for me linkedin as i gotta say um what's your instagram tag do you know uh I don't want fun, but I can email it to you anyway. I can send it to you. Yeah, I'll put it. I'll put it. I'll put AD's uh, Instagram tags in the description of the episode. Let's give him a follow, and um, subscribe to the YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash/AcePodcastNation. Spread the word. We have uh, live shows every Monday, Friday. We also have shows out on a Wednesday and a Sunday. Always new content, new guests, expert analysis, and much more. So join us. Join the revolution, as it were, as we uh, take over the podcasting world in the UK. <laughs> nice one, sir. Yeah, cheers for joining me, AD. Uh, it's been a good chat. I've enjoyed it. And um, we'll see. Thank you to everyone who's tuned in and listened. And uh, we'll see you next week. Hey, hey.
Sports Social Podcast Network.